Today uh, we are continuing and in fact we are coming towards the end of our season one of our series on Kingdom of God uh, and today is the second last week and then next week we'll have one more and then we're going to take a break we'll jump back into our Kingdom series um, in the second half of the year and today today's topic is on full allegiance how Jesus calls us toward full allegiance to him and today's sermon is actually honestly it is a it is a topic and it's a sermon that i've always known at some point um uh, needs to be preached it's also one that i know um I, that, that, that I approach with some degree of fear and trepidation because of the things Jesus says and how, the, even the way he goes about saying it um, uh, is, is, can be what we consider hard. Can be what we can, can, when you see it at first glance and if you don't study it and understand it, um, it might seem even in some cases harsh or offensive. And so I, I've got like some this this fear on one hand this fear of the lord to know that that we don't pull punches we don't sidestep difficult parts of the bible we preach through every part we preach through everything and on the other hand there's a part of me that's thinking oh no by next sunday will will there be a church left or or, or you know by by, by 12 o'clock will, will i be stoned to death you know um there's not enough people here to stone me to death maybe i'm not sure right um so may, maybe maybe there are maybe there are yeah they're, they're telling me here don't underestimate us yeah <laughs> so um so with that allow me to pray pray as we enter this father heavenly father truly lord god we want to hear your heart today we want to see uh, um, how much you how much you desire for us to, to to be saved we want to we want to see today how much you desire for us to endure until the very end and lord you alone know what is needed for us to survive and to endure till the very end and lord the things that we think will keep us running sometimes will be inadequate but christ is enough and you will be the joy and of our salvation you will be the hope and lord truly Lord God when we say I've decided to follow Jesus what does it mean today we want to know and step into what it means to give you our full allegiance and we pray that throughout the rest of our days that we can give that to you so father enable us today enable us because on our own by flesh uh, uh, um, uh, flesh and blood we cannot do this only by the spirit can we do this so we approach your throne of grace with humility and with reverence for the work ahead in jesus name amen now over the course of your of your christian walk of your following of jesus i'm sure you have heard it before that all you need uh, to be saved is to have the right belief and thoughts right so you believe that jesus is your savior and maybe at the most you throw in a confession so you say that you you confess that jesus christ is your lord and if you have done these two things that's what faith amounts to it is a belief and a confession right and then and then you go and read your bible and you realize that there are many parts of the bible and take a new testament for example where jesus makes certain demands and expectations about how you should act and how you should behave the things you must do and it doesn't I mean, maybe, maybe you thought it didn't jive, or maybe you thought, I'm sure there's an explanation for this. But then you keep hearing these other voices saying that all you need to do is to believe and confess. Believe and confess. It's in your head and it's in your mouth. It's in your heart and it's in your mouth. And that's all you need to do. And that's what faith is. And then on the other hand, there is a vision for faith in the Bible that, that is even wider, broader. It encompasses how you live your life. It covers how you order your, your, your ways and what you do. And so, my friends, um, the English word that we use for faith, if I, can I submit this to you? This English word that we use for faith, if you go through your Old Testament, you won't find God and His people Israel relating with this word faith. At least we are working with English words, right? Uh, and the original Hebrew, you won't find a lot of the times they use the word faith 
especially in the sense of I believe in my head and I confess with my heart, or I believe in my heart and I confess with my mouth, right? Um, you won't find it in the Old Testament much. What you will find in the Old Testament is for you to be a covenant people, to walk right by me. You see that a lot. To walk right by me, to not worship idols, to, 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 be, to, to love the law and to, to um, how should I say, love justice. Right, do mercy. These are the things. Or Micah, right? Uh, uh, that that five-letter uh, 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 prophet uh, who, pro who prophesied on the birth of Jesus. Micah himself was the one who said uh, um, that that what what is our mandate for living? It's to love justice, to do mercy, right? And so um, you will see that kind of language a lot in the Old Testament, and somehow. In the New Testament, the word, the English word that we've landed on, the word faith as a translation for the Greek word that is expressing uh, our relationship with God, ends up over time having just this dimension of believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth. And I understand to some extent how that happened. Romans 10 verse 9 actually says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And then what we don't realize is that Romans 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 all speak about the kind of thing that the rest of the Old Testament already spoke about, which is how you order your life. And so today, I want to take us um, into um, this this whole teaching that God is trying to lead us into, which is that His that walking right by God involves the walking, it involves the living, it involves the ordering of your life, it involves to a large extent your doing and how God has an expect, He does have an expectation for how we live our lives. And so before that, I want to lead you into some text that help you to see the English word faith. Okay, and then the Greek word that is often translated into the English word faith. Let's look at um, the first slide. Galatians 2 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith. Now, the Greek word for faith here is pistis okay uh, um, and you'll hear me use this word uh, uh, and we're going to go into this word we're going to take a serious look into this word pistis today right the life that i now live in the body i live by faith in the son of god who loved me and gave himself for me now just a quick look at this faith here is the faith here purely heart faith and verbal faith is pistis here just heart faith or verbal faith now we know that that Paul is combining the word faith with his adding. He's not just adding, he's articulating. He's saying that the life I live in the body, my bodily life will be lived in pistis, will be lived by pistis. So, so you must see this, okay, that whatever this faith is, the range of what faith means, it must include life lived in the body. In other words, that's just all language for saying the way I act, the life lived in the body. Let's look at Romans 1. Romans 1 in Paul's introduction. It's a long introduction, but in verse 5, uh, Paul greets the Romans this way. Through him, that is Jesus, the resurrected Son of God in power, right? Now, the Son of God has been resurrected. He's not just resurrected. He's now called the Son of God in power. And he is now the hyper-exalted. That's how Philippians renders it. He is now the hyper-exalted King. Right? So, by the way, that's the good news. That's the good news of the kingdom is that Jesus came, lived and died on the cross and was resurrected. And so today, he is the hyper-exalted son of God in power. And all that we have owes allegiance to this king. That's the gospel of the kingdom. Right? The gospel of the kingdom is not just saved by faith, through grace, covered by the blood, sins forgiven. Right? It's not just that. It involves a king. Because you can't have a kingdom without a king. So there's no gospel of the kingdom if you don't relate to Jesus also as king. You can relate to Jesus as a saviour. Yes, absolutely critical that we relate to Jesus as a saviour. But then maybe we were never taught that the gospel of the kingdom means that we must also relate to the kingdom, to Jesus as a king. And so, when in Romans 1, 
Paul greets the Romans this way, through this hyper-exalted king, we have received grace and apostleship to bring about, now hear this, obedience of faith. Now, obedience of faith is obedience of pistis, meaning that faith here, it's not, again, it is not just a faith that is just, I believe something in my heart and I say something in my mouth. It involves the obeying in the way you live your life, right? For the sake of his name. And so I want to show you one more, which is the most obvious one. And you all know this is coming, James chapter 2, right? James chapter 2, um, James, the, the, the apostle James, right? So it's good that we hear from different apostles, right? Different, di different uh, uh, disciples of Jesus. James says this, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has pistis? Okay, so same, same Greek word, okay? And then James is going to articulate and unpack <laughs> some of the things that Paul was saying when he says, the life I live in the body, I live by pistis, right? And then he says in Romans that now I'm going to live in the obedience of pistis. And then James says this, if someone says he has pistis but does not have works, can that pistis save him? Meaning he's saying that what kind of pistis is it? Now, I'm purposely using the Greek word, okay? Because the Greek word, firstly, is the original word. Secondly, this word faith has over time, okay, uh, uh, maybe it's shed some of, some of the, the, the parts of it that speak more of our loyalty and faithful acting. So I want to show you the Greek so that you can see it. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has pistis, but does not have work? No, let's go back to the previous slide, right? But does not have works. Can that pistis save him? In other words, is this saving pistis? Is this saving pistis? If a brother or sister has, is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, uh, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the very things they need for the body, what good is it? Wow, so James is quite strong here. He says, so also, pistis by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. Pistis by itself, if it does not have works in it as a definition, it's dead. For as the body, apart from the spirit, is dead. So the body is a shell. The spirit animates the body, right? So as the body, apart from the animating power of the spirit, is a dead body, so also pistis, whatever pistis is, apart from works, which is the animating thing that makes pistis truly living, is dead. In other words, now let's look at this Greek word, pistis. Pistis means, it, it's, a, it's kind of like an umbrella term, right? It, it, it encompasses numerous things. And it encompasses three things that I want to show you. This Greek word that is often translated into English as faith has three elements. One is it has mental affirmation, or you can say a heart affirmation. It covers what I believe. Yes, it's absolutely that. It has professed fidelity, okay? In other words, the confession of your mouth, right? What you say, okay? That's very, that's very important, that's that. But it also has what is sometimes we don't integrate it together, an element of enacted loyalty. In other words, what I am faithful to. You actually act out your loyalty, your faithfulness, your full allegiance. You act it out. And when you act it out, it is part of faith. Now, you will see, if you are, if you, if you are a good Bible student, you start looking for where pistis shows up in the Bible. Sometimes in the New Testament, it is most of the time it is translated as faith. Sometimes it is translated as faithfulness. Now, you see the difference? You're starting to see the difference? There is faith, which we think Maybe sometimes too narrowly, as just here and here. Okay? And then there is faithfulness, which covers the way you act and the way you're loyal and faithful. And that's, that's very helpful. Okay? That's very helpful. And then, and sometimes it will be translated as loyalty, which is also helpful, right? So I want you, before we even go a step further, to understand that this Greek word is rich and multidimensional, okay? But it always has a shade, at the very least a shade, if not a very strong front meaning of being loyal, faithful, and to show God where you stand with 
the way you live your life. And so uh, I, I really wanted to show you that before we even go another step further. Now, I shared with you all just now that I'm going to share with you guys Share so many shares. Uh, I was telling you guys just now, I'm going to show you uh, some parts of scripture that are difficult. I do trust that all of you guys have read your Bible. At very least, all of you guys have read your Gospels. Ma Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Okay, you have, you have read this. As, unless you're a fairly new believer, then I want to invite you on this journey. Okay, um, now if you've read, your, how many of you, you have met, read all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, at some point in your life, you've covered all four. Then what I'm going to show you um, should not, should not be new to you. I was going to say should not shock you, but it will still shock you. It, it continues to shock me, right? But it uh, is not new to you. And I'm not sure how you have coped with it. Uh, we all have our different coping mechanisms, but I want to lead you into some of the most difficult parts of the New Testament, in my, in my opinion, okay? And I believe in many people's opinions are some of the most difficult parts of the New Testament um, that, really, that, that, that really sometimes it's so susa. You read also, you want like, oh, I don't want to just skip the page. I don't want to think about it. You know, this is not in my Bible. Now, now let, me, let me start, you guys, um, with the first one. Let's uh, flip the page uh, and let's start with Luke 9, right? Luke 9. Uh, Jesus is saying something here. It's going to sound hard, but, but let me just frame it just one more time, just so you can see it. Jesus is calling for full allegiance. Let's make no bones about it. When Jesus speaks to his people, he's not just asking them toward a private faith. He's, uh, he's calling them toward a way of living that is completely sold out to him in both heart and hands, right? And, and so let's look at Luke 9. Verse 57, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. By the way, lots of people told him they want to follow him. A lot of people. Everywhere Jesus goes, a lot of people say, I want to follow you, I want to follow you, I want to follow you. And Jesus says this to them, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And in short, he's saying, you really want to follow me? If you really want to follow me, you need to know what following me is going to be like. Following me is going to involve being going through pain, going through lack, what appears to be human lack, though you will never truly lack, right? Um, you may not even have a place to lay your head because I don't, right? Now, wow. Okay, so, so it's serious. Now he's trying to lay the groundwork and say that following me is serious stuff. Then to another, now Jesus says to that person, follow me. Now we remember that Jesus went to the boat and, uh, much earlier and he said the same words, follow me um, to both Peter and Andrew, then to James and to John. And both pairs of brothers left their boats and in the James and John case, they left their father there with the father's workers and they followed Jesus, right? And here you have it again. Jesus says to one more guy, now who knows if this guy could have ended up being among the closest apostles because actually there is a very strong kind of parallel in the way this is playing out until it stops being a parallel. Jesus says to him, follow me. And then this guy says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now this guy is unnamed. We don't know who he is. Huh? And actually it's left there hanging. You don't even know if this guy says, oh, okay, I go and proclaim the kingdom or whether like the rich young ruler, he just walked away feeling sad. Okay. But by the way, I just want to explain this a little bit. As I go along, I'll explain. Um, I've heard a Jewish preacher explained this before, right? That when, when they say, let me go and bury my father, it doesn't mean that the father just died and then there's a funeral going on and Jesus is so heartless that he won't even let him go and finish the rites, okay? So that is not apparently what this text is trying to say. What, what the expression, let me go and bury my father is, let me go home and live with my family until my father dies. Then there is no more need to take care of my father. Then I will come and do kingdom work. And Jesus is saying, no. Okay, no. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And in a way, let them gout him themselves. 
Because you know what? If you go, if you don't go on all that, everybody, everybody will die without the kingdom, right? And so he's saying, you go proclaim the kingdom and don't worry about your family, okay? And so that's the, that's the lens there. But again, you're starting to get this sense that, wow, Jesus is saying some mm, pretty, mm, pretty hard stuff. Like, like the, I don't know if you want to say that, whether it's a tone or whether it's the words or whatever it is, but hang in there because Jesus is clearly asking for a lot from his people, right? Let's move on. Yet another said, now again, I will follow you, Lord. Wow, so everybody wants, right? I will follow you. But let me first say farewell to those at my home. And read this carefully because I don't want you to misread it, okay? This guy say, I want to follow you, okay? Let me say farewell to those who are at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I've always read this verse as Jesus saying, No, you cannot go back and say farewell. Right? Right? Don't you think it, it, it sounds like, no, you cannot go back and say farewell? But, but as I was preparing for today's sermon and I was looking at the text, looking at it closely, guess what? This guy hasn't put his hand to the plow. He's saying, I want to put my hand to the plow. I want to say farewell to my family. And then Jesus is telling him very clearly, this is the cost. After you say farewell, don't keep looking back. After you put your hand to the plow, don't keep turning around and wondering if there is something happening at the back and something happening at the back because you will not be able to focus on the work of the kingdom. And so, wow, now my, my eyes were, were, were like fresh look at this. I was like, oh, that's right. This guy hasn't put his hand to the plow. But Jesus is saying, brother, you want to say bye-bye? You don't want to say bye-bye? That's your problem. But once you put your hand to the plow, don't change your mind anymore. And don't keep turning around and don't keep saying, I need to go back because of this. I left something there. I have unfinished business there and all that. Once you put your hand to the plow, stay on it. Look forward and plow forward, right? That's Luke chapter 9. Is there another slide, right? Um, uh, so, so Jesus is asking for much. He's asking for full allegiance. Let's look at the next slide, right? Matthew 10. Matthew 10 deepens, I'm going to show you another set of, of things that Jesus says in the same tone, okay? And then we're slowly going to build up to the toughest one. I, I think it's the toughest one in Luke 14. It's the toughest one. But let's go through Matthew 10 because Matthew 10 has uh, uh, just a slightly less difficult version of the Luke 14 one, okay? I'm going to show you this in a moment. Let's look. Let's look at it. Now, here's the context. Jesus is saying in Matthew 10, 21. So earlier in Matthew 10, Jesus is saying that now that you're following me, you're going to meet opposition. Okay, You're going to stand before kings, you're going to stand before rulers to give an account for why you're following me. And you better settle it clear right now um, why you're following me. And just so you know, not everyone is going to like it that you're following me. And just so you know, even your own family, even your own family may betray you. And then he says this, brother will betray brother to death and a father his child and children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. You will be hated by everyone because of me. But the one who stands firm to the end will be safe. Now, before we look even further, I want to share with you two quick stories. Last year, I preached and shared with you guys about the persecuted church. And you might remember that I shared with you about a guy from the Middle East. I believe he was from Syria. And he came to know Jesus. And when he came to know Jesus, his family forced him to renounce his faith. And he said, no, I cannot renounce my faith. There's no way. You all remember this one? I cannot renounce my faith. You know who were the ones who reported him and threw him into, into, a, into a makeshift prison? It was his own family. His own family reported him. And because of that, he was thrown into a... He was the, this was the guy, if you remember the story, he was brought into a dark building and he was blindfolded and he was put in a room and it was, it was smelly and every day uh, um, the guard would come and bring some food for him and then there, he would shine the torchlight so he could only see a little bit and then one day the guard shined the torchlight across, he fanned the light and then he saw that the smell was coming from all the dead bodies around him. And all this guy had, if you remember, all this guy had was a hanky that had, the, that had one Bible verse on it. 
right? And that one Bible verse, he held on to it and he held to his faith throughout the months in which he was kept in solitary confinement there. Now, that's a reality for many Christians in the world. The moment you become a Christian, they face opposition, they face persecution, and they face literally family will betray family. And in other words, we say blood is thicker than water, right? We say blood is thicker than water. But sometimes holy water is thicker than blood. Okay? Or to put it differently, sometimes our allegiance towards our faith is stronger than the, our allegiance toward our own family. And even if, and, and I guess that's what Jesus is trying to say here, right? That's what Jesus is trying to say here. He's saying he's, he's really going into that, that, that painful part, you know, where actually between family and, and, and faith, right? If you are put to a decision, how will you choose? And then he's using some of these examples to say that, guess what? I can tell you, I know how a lot of families will choose. Wow. Really? Uh? Really? And I just want to share this in a different way. Some of you come from backgrounds where the moment you became a Christian, your families kick you out of the house. It may not have been you, it may be someone you know. Some of you come from, from backgrounds where your parents barely accepted it, barely, scarcely accepted it. And they maybe pretended that you were not a Christian, but they gave you one stipulation. You want to go to church, I'm not going to force you not to, but you never get baptized. The moment you get baptized, I throw you out of the house. How many of you have heard stories like that? God, right? God. And I can tell you, as I was preparing for today's sermon, I was asking God, God, why have you made following you an allegiance issue? And then he spoke to me. He didn't speak for very long. He spoke to me just very succinctly. He said, because in the other faiths, they also make it an allegiance issue. That's one of the reasons. And I have to think about that. Actually, it's true. Because there are faiths outside our doorstep where it's such an allegiance issue, it affects, it covers even how you live, how you eat, how you dress, how you everything, right? how you speak, the cultures, the languages, everything. right? Um, and so he says that, Fergus, do you not see that it is an allegiance issue for everybody as well? I'll give you a non-religious example. In the 1960s, in the 1965, communist China, right, um, was caught in the in the thickest, heaviest, worst part of its the worst part of its history. Right? I mean, we, we, we see what's happening in Russia and Ukraine today and we, and we really weep and, and, and grieve for what's happening. We should pray for it. You know, there was a time in, 19, in the mid-1960s when the Cultural Revolution was rife in China. And you know what was happening in the Cultural Revolution? They were, we were finding people who, who were landed or got a family history of being landed, uh, um, Western educated or had a family history of being Western educated. And what was happening was exactly, it looks exactly like this. Brother was betraying brother to the death, okay, because they would, they would haul these, these people out, call them all kinds of names like running dog of capitalism and all these things, and then the children would literally sell their parents out. Students would sell their teachers out. And so, my friends, why am I sharing this with you? I'm sharing this with you because we are such a, a sheltered a, a, a Christian community here in Malaysia, by and large. I know some of you come from difficult backgrounds and I want to honour that. But by and large, most of us can practice our Christianity without a lot of opposition. But guess what? There are some Christians in our midst who cannot. Huh? They cannot. Huh? The moment they say that they are Christian, they are giving up everything everything and they will be kicked out from their homes and brother will betray brother children will be betrayed by their parents parents will be betrayed by their children that's the context now let's look next slide verse 34 he says do not suppose that i've come to bring peace on earth i did not come to bring peace but a sword whoa stop there i thought jesus is the prince of peace yes then why he say he brings sword what does it mean? Are your pastor so weird? I thought one day he's so peaceful, then now he says, he literally says, I have not come to bring peace. What does that mean? So let me give you the context. Jesus is not saying, I am coming because I want to stir up strife. That's not what Jesus is saying. You have to read it in context of the whole Matthew 10. He's saying that I have come to do something 
And this something is going to cause you to give allegiance to this cause. But along the way, as you give allegiance to this cause, there are going to be people who will, who will find that unacceptable. And that will bring a sword. You see, my friends, when you give your life to Jesus, inadvertently, the, those who oppose Jesus will bring a sword. And it's going, to be, it's going to bring a sword in between you and them. And that's what Jesus is saying uh, when he says that I did not come to bring peace. It's not that he came to purposely stir up strife and to split families. He's saying that I'm coming to stand for what is right and to right all the things that are wrong. And if you come and be for me, and I wish your whole family would come and be for me, but if those who do not, they will oppose me and they will oppose you and that's going to be a sword between the two of you. And then he says this, For I have come to turn, now a well, the, the tone gets stronger, I have come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Again, Jesus is not saying that I purposely come and gossip here, gossip there, split the two of you. I come and say bad things, say bad things, split the two of you. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that I'm coming to do what I do. And because of that, a man will follow me, but his father won't. A daughter will follow me, but her mother may not. A daughter-in-law may give allegiance, but her mother-in-law may not like it. And therefore, your enemies may very well be the members of your own household. Verse 37. Anyone who loves their father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Just hold there for a moment. Wow. I've, I've feared preaching this text for, for a long time, but I always knew that at some point we have to go into it. When Jesus says anyone who loves their father and mother more than me, not worthy of me, he's saying that when you are put to a decision and your family hold you back, and like many of the Christians outside of, uh, in less safe countries than ours, when the family says you recant, you renounce your faith, if not, we'll send you to prison. And if your allegiance lands on your family and you say, okay, fine, I give up this Jesus, Jesus says, you're not worthy of me. That's why we sing songs about this all the time. You know why we sing all these songs saying that Christ is my all in all, you are my everything, I love you more than life. Uh, uh, um, just like yesterday in, in, in the main church, we were singing the song, Lord, you're more than anything, you're more than gold, more than anything, more than anything, really? More, more than father, mother, more than brother, sister, more than son and daughter? When we sing these words, now, I can tell you, a lot of times we sing these songs and we don't replace that anything and everything with all the things that hit most closely to our hearts. We just sing it. And today, now, wow, it's hitting close to home. And now suddenly it's like, it feels a little offensive. Lord, you're more than anything. Includes your father, your mother, brother, sister, spouse and children. You're more than gold, more than all these things. So I'm asking you, my friends, does verse 37 offend you? Or is verse 37 actually something you've been singing all your Christian life, you just never thought about it? Honestly, when I think about it, I realize, do I even know what I'm singing? <laughs> Have I even counted the cost of what I'm singing? Yeah, I sing all these songs, got cost one. Huh? I'm actually saying, I'm actually making an, an, a, a, a proclamation. Huh? Do I really think it through? Today we have to think it through, Lord. Today we have to think it through. Lord. And so let's look at the rest of Matthew 10. Let's click, let's click. Verse 37, anyone who loves their father and mother, right? I showed you this, right? And then verse 38, it says, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Take his cross means he must die to something. Huh? And so he's saying, if you have to die to your family, will you die to your family? If you have to die to your teacher, if you have to die to your master, if you have to die to your spouse, if you have to die to your children, who they're going to sell you out already, will you be ready because of me, says Jesus? Verse 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's another way of saying that if you want to cling on to the things of this life, you know, you'll lose the real life. But if you're prepared to die to the things of this life, you find true life. Let's look at the next one. Let's look at, let's look at Luke. 
Because Luke 14 uh, um, says it in a harder way. Um, and I'm not going to pull this punch. Luke 14 says it in the hardest way. In my estimation, the most difficult part of the Bible for me to read. Let's look at it. In Luke 14, verse 25, large crowds were gathering, were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Very similar. Then he goes on to say this, Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to contemplate to complete it? For if you lay the foundation of a tower, you want to build a tower, you have to count the cost first. If not, then building project halfway abandoned, right? If you lay the foundation, you're not able to finish it. Everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything, who do not renounce everything, you cannot be my disciples. Now let's just hold on this for a moment. This whole tower example, he is trying to say that if you want to follow me, count the cost. It's going to cost you something. And you may not even be able to immediately know exactly what the cost is because you don't know how everybody around you is going to be. You may lose your job. Are you prepared to lose your job? You may, you may be thrown out of your rental property. Are you prepared for that? Today, us middle-class Chinese Indian, uh, um, some East Malaysians here living in KL, you know, I hardly think any of us will be thrown off our rental property if we say we are Christian. But there are people who will be all. And certainly if you live with your parents, there are some people who will be thrown out of your house. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to lose your promotion? Because I know that some of us have lost our promotions because we are Christians because we come from a background and work in an environment where they will just not allow a Christian to climb too high. It happens. Have you count the cost of so-called building this tower? Because you want to build it and then you're halfway and then you, cannot, and then you cannot pay the price, you abandon it and then people look at you and say, what kind of fellow is this? Right? He start, I'm so brave, but he didn't count the cost properly and halfway he has to abandon. And so let's look back at verse 25 and 26. He says, are you prepared? And when he says hate here, I know some people say when he says hate, he's trying to say love less than me. I'm not sure if it's always so soft. I'm not sure if it's so soft. And I don't want to soften what Jesus is saying. I want to present it as it is. When he says hate here, he's saying that are you prepared to receive the hate of your father and mother and be prepared to cut off like, like, it's, a, like, it's, a, like it's a hated relationship? Are you prepared? Wow. Wow, friends, you know what? I almost cannot take it, you know. I almost cannot take it. But I, and just now we were, I was telling the team, and we were praying this, that today as I preach this, I'm not just delivering it, I'm also receiving it. I'm also receiving it. And I really thank God that my parents, though they're not Christians and professing, you know, like, like you know, and, 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 but my mom is in church, and you all know her. And I thank God they are the most, they are the most supportive uh, 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 um, parents uh, for a pastor, for their child to be pastor. In fact, I, every time I hear Christian parents, you know, uh, dissuade their children from full-time ministry, child want to be a missionary, child want to go full-time, child want to go pastor, and the Christian parents say, cannot, don't, you cannot earn money, you cannot this, you cannot support yourself, da 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 And then I see my mom, and she's not, you know, a, 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 a Christian in the sense that we are, and then, she, and then she's like, so proud of me for being a pastor. I'm like, Thank you. My parents are the best, man. I tell you, the best. I want to honor them today. And you know what? There are people out there whose parents will not be like that. And they will say, I'm prepared to hate you for this. I'm prepared to fight you all the way for this. And if you go all this way, you're not a son to me. You're no longer a daughter to me. And so, have you counted the cost? It's what Luke 14 is about. Have you counted the cost? Now, let's look at the next one. I've spent some time looking at this and I asked myself, Jesus, I don't ask Jesus, I asked Jesus, I didn't ask myself, I asked Jesus, Jesus, why do you start with father, mother? It's like, it's like you start with the most offensive one. Do you think so? He starts with father, mother, then he says wife and children, then he says brothers and sisters, then he says your own life. 
Now, honestly, now I don't know how you read this. To me, he starts with the most offensive one. Anyone who does not hate father, mother, then hate wife, children, then brother, sister, then by the time you get to their own life, frankly, it's okay. Like, like I, can, I can hate my own life, so to speak. Not in a, not, not in a, in, in a self-destructive way, but, but you know what? I can hate the part of my life that's sinful, that's broken, that's all these kind of things. It's, it's okay. It's me. It's fine. Right? But, and then brother, sister, okay lah, you don't really choose your brothers and sisters. Some of us are close to our siblings, some of us are not, but we, have, we, fight, we all fight with our siblings. We all have complex relationships with our siblings. That's, that's kind of not so bad. Wife and children, is, is, that's hard. Wife and children, that's hard. Right? Because you make a covenant with your wife and you, make a, you, make, you, you, you owe your, your, your children protection and all that. But somehow, father and mother, while you touch that one, that is the worst. That is just the worst. And so I asked the Lord, Lord, why do you start with the most offensive one? If, if honestly, if it was me doing this, I will say, if anyone comes after me and does not hate their own life, okay, uh, a, bit, a bit more okay, uh, and, or even their brother, sister, or even the wife and children. And then even uh, in some cases, I uh, have to be uh, your father and mother. It feels and it sounds a little bit more palatable uh, if you go in that direction. But why you start with the most jialat one, Jesus? Now, uh, everybody cannot... Eat. After father and mother, you're not even listening to the rest really. Uh, honestly, how many do you, you, you actually hear the rest of the family members? Because you know, like, I'm not really... Like, after I, 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 you lost me at the first two, right? You lost me at the first two. Because it's so offensive, I close, I, a part of my heart closed up already. And I realized that for some reason, that only by his divine wisdom he knows, Jesus does this all the time. He starts with the most offensive one all the time. Really? Yes, he does. And he, like, okay, there is this, there is this sequence um, elsewhere, right? It's in, the, it's in the Gospel of Luke, where you have this sequence where he says that um, uh, if you have uh, the one sheep that left the herd, Right, and then the ninety-nine, you will leave that one, that that ninety-nine there, and go and find that one sheep, right? And then the second story is the woman who lost one coin, and then she looked everywhere for that one coin, right? And when she found that one coin, she was very happy. And then the third story is the prodigal son, the one who went to the father and said, "I want to get out of the house. Give me my money." He take the inheritance, he chow, and then later he come back, you know, humble and broke and broken and then the father received him and i read these three together and i go like jesus you know the first one was the most offensive and it's the most ridiculous because you are asking you're literally asking me to leave 99 good perfect sheep on the hillside with no shepherd so that i can go and look for the one now i find that hard to accept but you say looking for the for the coin okay lah and then you say, waiting, father waiting there for the one son to come home, that is the least offensive one. But why you order it that way? Because the first one, uh, I feel like I don't want to read all three already. Jesus does this. He does this over and over again. If you read the, the, the part where the Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus and says, uh, Lord, my daughter, has, my daughter has, a, has a demon. Can you please heal my daughter? Right? And then Jesus says something about dogs. Wow, I'm not even going to go into that. But he says the most, it's, it's, uh, the most offensive thing he says first. And then much later, then he says the inoffensive things. Why does he do that? I frankly don't really know. But I have a good guess. I think Jesus says the most offensive things right at the start because there are people in his surroundings who, number one, Take it flippantly that I can just follow you because you're going to be a Messiah and with you, everything's going to be great. So it needs to be read in context. At the time, as you know, everybody wanted a Messiah who would be like flag-waving and like, yeah, Messiah's in town and we're going to rule, we're going to take over the Romans and life's going to be great. And that's why even Jesus' own disciples say, hey, when you get into your kingdom, I want to be on your right and left because these are the positions of, of glamour and authority and power. And Jesus over and over, keeps on breaking this false picture of what a Messiah is and what following the Messiah is. So he shatters it and shatters it and shatters it. And I believe that in his wisdom, he sees it correct and fitting. Whenever people say, I want to follow you, I want to follow you, it's going to be so great, we're going to be part of the Messiah entourage. 
We're going to be part of this thing, this winning team. This is the up and coming, uh, a happening winning team. And I want to be part of it because I like to support winners. And Jesus shatters it maximum, man. And he starts with the most jialat one. You all follow me? You ready to hate your father, mother? Because it might, you might just be called, you may not have to come to that. And for many of us, we will live our whole lives and may never come to that, thank God. But he's saying to these people, are you ready if it comes to that? Because I want your full allegiance, huh? you follow me? And then one by one, all the, all the glory hunting, in football, we call it glory hunters, right? You see who's at the top of the table, you're going to support the strong team. Suddenly, Paris Saint-Germain is full of money. Everybody wants to support that, right? And the next thing you know, uh, uh, you're supporting like Man City or like Newcastle, got a lot of money, you support that. You know, like Lalang, whoever is winning, you go equal, right? And Jesus is saying, no, you're going to smash it completely. You want to follow me? All the way, man. All in. All in. Let's look at the last ones. The last ones are from Mark 8. Let's look, let's click. And calling the crowds with him, to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain his whole world but forfeit his soul? Now when you see whole world, it has more meaning. Now when you see whole world, it includes your own life, your wife, your children, your, your, your brother, sister, your father, mother, your job, your job security, your promotion, your bonus, your rental property, your, non your, 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 your purchase property, your citizenship in a country. The whole world includes all of these things. What does it gain to cling on to all this, to still have all these things, but then forfeit your soul? For what can a man give after that? What can you, a man or a woman, give after that to purchase back, to give, to redeem back your soul if you've already lost it because you had to cling, you prefer to cling on to all these things? Then he says this, your allegiance, we'll, we'll see how your allegiance is. Your allegiance is to this or your allegiance is to God. And he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory. In other words, my friends, Jesus is saying, all in. Let's look at Mark 10. And with this, we'll go to what we, we, we are closing soon. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home, or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or fields, for me and the gospel, will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, Brothers, sisters, mothers, children feels along with the persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. And what he's saying is this, my friends. He's saying that if you have to lose these things, I will return them to you. Because you know what? Who are going to be your mothers, your brothers, your sisters? Jesus said this at one point, right? Quite offensive as well. His mother and brothers came to call for him. He says, who are my mothers and my brothers and my sisters? All of you guys. Now, I don't think he said that and then stood his mother up. I think he went down and followed and went to his mother. But he is already trying to tell them something. Because when you have to give up all these things to come into the family of God, he is saying that I'm going to return this kind of relationships back to you in the fellowship of the saints who are suffering along with the persecutions. And you will have this family now. If you need and if you get cut off, we are going to become your family. We are going to become your mother, brother, sisters, wives, children. We are going to become your new support, your new community. And then, after you die, eternal life. But many who are first right now will be last, and many who are last will be first. And with this, I want to show you. Let's go back to the word pistis. I showed you earlier that the word pistis covers how you believe, what we say, but also an enacted loyalty, a way we stand for our faith. What and who I am faithful to. And this is going to be very important because, next slide, three things are true about our Christian life. Firstly, you will be put to a decision. My friends, you will be put to a decision. And for some of us, 
the decisions that we are put to are fairly trivial. Do I watch Netflix or spend a bit of time reading the Bible? Spend a bit of time praying before I watch Netflix <laughs> or watch more Netflix and then, and then abaikan the praying. Or sometimes he's going to say, are you going to spend that whole time with me and tonight don't read, don't, don't watch your TV, don't do this, don't scroll your Instagram tonight. He's going to put us to a decision and, and, and I'm giving you super trivial points of decision. Some of us are going to be put to bigger points of decision. Do I do this deal? I know it's not quite right. I don't feel the best about it, but I'm not the only person and, and if I put my foot down, it's going to be a lot of trouble and I work really hard to be in this position already. And maybe um, um, if, if this thing comes with a lot of money, maybe I can give some of it to the church. Maybe I can give some of it to the poor. Maybe it'll be helpful anyway. You know? um, uh, or say, no, I don't, I don't do this. I don't work this way. And maybe you'll lose love. Maybe you'll lose something. Or maybe you won't lose much. Maybe you will gain reputation. Who knows? Sometimes it feels almost like a Christian gamble to say no. But it's never a gamble. Because in a gamble, you don't know what's going to happen after that. But we do know as Christians that when you put, your, you draw your line in the sand, that Jesus applauds you. And we know he applauds you because we saw how Stephen drew his line in the sand. Stephen the Apostle in Acts, in the book of Acts, he drew his line in the sand and said, no, I will not. I will not turn on my Lord. And you know what they did? They hauled him out and they stoned him to death. And as he was dying, in heaven, the, the skies opened. The last time the skies opened was at the baptism of Jesus. Huh? The skies opened. Stephen looked up. He saw the Ancient of Days, the Heavenly Father seated on his throne and King Jesus standing on his right hand. He's not seated. King Jesus standing at his right hand as if you stand to give an ovation. So I believe that when you are put to a decision, and some of it will be trivial, some of it will be serious, some of it will demand your all, your life, your all, as the old hymn says. How will you stand? This is important because there is no dual citizenship in the kingdom of God. Technically, there's no dual citizenship for Malaysian citizens as well. Malaysian, citizen, Malaysian government makes you decide and, and, and you have to decide. There's no dual citizenship in the kingdom of God. Jesus says that you will either love the one or hate the other. You will either despise the one or be devoted to the other. But you can't serve two masters. And you still live on this earth. You still live and mingle among the things of this earth. But you need to know who is your Lord. You need to know to whom you give allegiance. And the word allegiance, the old-fashioned expression for allegiance is when uh, someone goes on their knee before their Lord and they say, my leech. Right? They go on their knees and they say, my leech. And when they say, my leech, they are saying that you are my Lord. You, are my, you, you, I, you own me. You have my loyalty. I am completely yours. My leech. Do we say that to Jesus, my leech? Does he have our allegiance? And finally, my friends, it's going to be hard. This is why it's so important. It's going to be difficult. But those who endure till the end will be saved. And this verse hit me really hard last year. It hit me so hard last year. Because sometimes we think that, oh, all I need to do is this very internal, very private, very passive thing where all the belief and all the faith things happening in my heart is just happening within here. And then Jesus says, no, people will hit you. There'll be wars, there'll be persecutions, there'll be all these things happening around you. And those who endure till the end will be saved. In other words, you must have the ability to endure. You must be able to tahan. Tahan what? Tahan whatever that comes from. And so my friends, if you want to translate pistis purely into faith, then I want to encourage you this. Every time you hear the word faith, it is no longer just a private thing that's happening inside you. It is a private and public thing because faith includes how you stand. Every time you see the word faith in, the, in your New Testament, I want you to see faith and faithfulness. Faith and faithfulness. 
because that's the range of the word pistis. Alternatively, every time you see the word faith, I want you to hear shades of allegiance because that's what the gospel of the kingdom is, allegiance to the king. And that's why, that's why we sing songs like, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. If Christ really is enough for you, then you give your all to him. Come church, I want to encourage you right now. Even just before we worship, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I want you to hear my heart. But beyond that, I want you to hear God's heart. Heavenly Father, you love us. Of course, it's undoubted that you love us. It's so clear on the cross that you loved us. You came and you were marred beyond human recognition. Your body was broken, crushed for our iniquities. Complete, you, 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 you received upon your hands the nails that were meant for us. The chastisement that brought us peace was placed on you. You suffered. You gave us your all. You put your own body on the line for us. And you say it back to us, if you want to follow me, do for me what I've done for you. I've given you my all. Will you give me your all? I've allowed my body to go, to, to, to be completely broken on the cross. Will you allow your body to be broken on the cross? I, I, I was prepared to even receive the gaze away of the Father so that when I cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The Father gave no reply. Are you prepared for that with your own parents, with your own family? with your own wife and sons and daughters, with your job. Church, I pray that not a single one of us will ever have to be put to that place of such a difficult decision. But I pray above that prayer that if you ever have to, you will have the strength, the fortitude, the moral courage, the loyalty to Jesus to stand firm and allow the Lord to bless you back. If you are a parent over children and their children are still fairly young, I want you to know that the best way to train your children in this is to tell them from now, which is something that I've said to my children before. I don't say it to them all the time, but I've said it to my kids before. If I ever lose my head and I turn away from Jesus, if I ever lose my head and I not just turn away from myself, but I make you turn away from Jesus, stay with Jesus and don't choose me. I tell my children, I give you my permission. I've told, I've told you so bad earlier. I don't know if Nora can understand it, but I've told them before. If I, ever, if I ever go to that extent and I lose myself and I make your choice between me and Jesus, don't choose me. And I've told them before that if ever I'm caught and someone says, if you, if you renounce Jesus, I won't kill your father. And I'm going to kill your father. But if you renounce your Jesus, I'll let him go. I told my kids this. You don't have to lie. You don't have to lie. But I'll tell you what I've told my, my kids. I told them, don't renounce Jesus. Don't. Even if I have to go, I go back to be with the Lord, ma. And that's good, ma. If you renounce, then all of us don't go to be with the Lord. I go back to be with the Lord, but you don't. Then I'll be separated with you forever. Don't lie. It's okay. If you, have to, if you have to hold on to Jesus at my expense, please do. I'm not so important. Jesus is more important. If you have young children, tell them this. Find the right opportunity. Train them in this way. Father, I thank you, Lord God that in you is joy forevermore, in you is, is, is satisfaction forevermore, in you is a reward that outstrips every other earthly pleasure, every other earthly relationship, every other earthly loyalty. 
And so I pray, Father God, for all our families. I pray for everyone's mother and father here. I pray that we will have strong relationships. I pray that we will love and honour our father and mother the way Moses taught us. And we pray that we will, that in all of our best efforts to love and honour our father and mother, that you will work, Holy Spirit, you will work in our relationships so that we will have great relationships. And church, if any of you are put to that kind of place, I, I, I wish I can impart to you the blessing I've received for my own mother and father, who though they are not Christians the way we are, and though they are not professing the way we are, they have shown me the generosity of their support. That, that no, no convert could ever be entitled to and yet I've received it. If I could impart this blessing upon you, I would to every single one of you in great measure. I impart it upon you. May the Lord bless you with that kind of generosity from your parents. But church, even if you never receive it, I pray you will still hold on to Jesus. So Lord, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord turn His face to shine upon you. May the Lord turn His countenance and fix it upon you. You in your concerns, you in your broken relationships, you in, in the price that you've had to pay and had the cost you've had to bear for being a Christian. May He fix His attention upon you and grant you shalom. And all of God's people shout aloud, Amen. Amen.